Maya, Joao, like you go by many, many names. I don't know how to address it. Is it Johnny? Is it Maya? Is it, is it Joao? Like, what do you, what do you want? Okay. All right. So first of all, good morning. Huh? Hey, uh, good morning. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Joao, which, which stands for John in English. You know, gotcha. and, but it's João. It has like this nasal sound, like a lot of a lot of words in Portugal. And yeah. most international people just destroy it's, my name. You know, it's very hard. Just it's super hard. Yeah. Exactly. So Johnny, <laughs> it's pretty easy. You know, like lots of friends call me Johnny. You know, or just John. And okay. my friends here, João is the most common name for a male in Portugal. So. Gotcha. My friends just call me by my family name, which is Maya. Maya. And right. lots of people. Where are you from, Sunny? So I, I grew up in California. Okay. So yeah. like, I don't know if you probably didn't have it, but like you're in Europe when, when we were kids. Okay. So when we were kids, there was like this cartoon, this cartoon, which was Maya the Bee. It yeah, was yeah, a, a bee, a girl bee. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah, you've yeah, seen yeah. it. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. had a lot of crap since I was a grown, you know, like with the bee. You know, everyone was making fun. I'm a really big guy. And like, oh, like the bee. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like the bee, you know. So yeah, everyone calls me my, all my good I mean, friends. And, uh, it's the same with my name. I mean, you know, my name is Sunny. So yeah. when I was growing up, the only Sunnies in the world were Indian cab drivers. Or Andy, well... That was later, but before when I was young, it was Indian cab drivers or girls. So I got a lot of shit, yeah. you know, from from like from both so sides. That's, that's the other thing with me, you know, like Maya, like a girl. Yeah, yeah, Maya, like a girl. Exactly, that's it. It's the same way. <laughs> that's oh so man! Actually, before before we started talking on camera, we chatted for like uh, I think it was like forty minutes off camera, and you told me the story how you and how you and Luix kind of like came together, like your first, you know, your first interaction with Tim. And since then you guys have this like great friendship. And I thought it would be really cool to like reintroduce this into the podcast. And you tell us and tell, you know, the listeners um, how this like relationship came about. Okay. So before we go, we're get, I'm going to go with a little disclaimer. Like you said, Sounds I'm a really good friend good. with Tim, you know, I love him. I love his family, you know, like his wife, his kids. It's just a beautiful family. And thankfully, I had the chance to meet him by total chance. And the story goes more or less like this. Um, I was working in one of the biggest surf camps in Portugal. And at the time, definitely Europe. Uh, it was like a German surf camp with a lot of German clients. Um, and one day, my boss calls me and he goes, Hey, Maya, you want to go to the Maldives? I'm like, sure, you know, like, just before I go to this story, let me tell you a good one. Like, all my life, like, I had friends going there, and like, I don't want to go to the Maldives, because everyone kept telling me, oh, the waves are crappy, the waves are small, the waves have no power, the waves this, the waves that, you know, like, Indo is the place, Let's go to Indo. Oh, Maldives, too expensive, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've had the same yeah. experience. You know? Yeah, yeah. So the stereotypes. I, like I, exactly, stereotypes. And I'm like, man, it's so expensive. I wanted to go there because I had seen some really good pictures and friends who had been there and they're like pumping sultans, like those epic pictures and they're like drooling. 
you know, but then you hear all the bad stories. And I'm, okay, so it's so expensive. I'm not going to waste my money going there. You know, I'm going to spend my money going to other places. So get back to the, to the Maldives story. <laughs> my boss calls me, do you want to go to the Maldives? And I'm like, sure. Are you paying for it? Because with the salary you're getting me, I cannot afford to go there. And he's like, eh, okay, just to know if you want to go there. A few days later, he were like, I don't remember if he calls me or if it was at the surf camp or whatever. Hey, man, you really want to go to the Maldives? Yeah, again, that thing, but the conversation just stayed there. And it kind of like faded and I, I didn't really understood what, what the conversation was about. So fast forward a few weeks, Saturday morning, I'm on like 8 a.m. And uh, I'm a morning, really early morning person, you know, like we arrange this for, for 11 in, in uh, you're in the Basque country, like I'm here in Portugal. So 11 for you, 10 for me. And like I went surfing at seven something. I already had a surf or shower, walk the dog, all this stuff. So I'm really a morning person. So my phone rings Saturday morning and I'm like, who's ringing me? Like international number? Okay. Pick up the phone. Hey, who's this? Hi, this is Tim from Lineup Explorers. And I'm like, what? Uh, I'm calling you about to the, to the, to about the trip to the Maldives. And I'm like, what? You know, like, didn't, uh, didn't Max talk to you? Or like, didn't he talk to you about the trip to the Maldives? Yeah, he mentioned something about the Maldives, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, wow. Okay, so we talk a little bit, and in the end, he tells me, like, okay, so we have, like, this is, I am team, like I told you, I'm the CEO of uh, Lineup Explorers, the WEX. Uh, we're a German company, and we have, like, some big clients, and we're going to have like a like a trip with a client you know it's a famous company fashion and um and then he explains me so pretty much what happened was like tommy Ilfiger had a social media contest and um people would tweet something and in that tweet you know like tweet the, the tweets have to be like 100 i think it's 160 characters uh oh, yeah something like, have, like yeah, 140 160 or, or 140 yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it would have to mention um uh tommy surfing summer and the three best tweets would win a trip for two people um to the Maldives to to surf and uh this trip would be with the uh, models, uh, with the uh, fashion bloggers, uh, with one of the guys from uh, Magic Seaweed, which is or was a partner of uh, Luex, and um, with a fashion photo photographer as well. And um, so this was the idea, and they would have a surf coach just in case, you know? Okay, let's do it. and. Tim said, like, okay, so the thing is, it's going to be with a trip with a lot of ladies and uh, the clients were asking for a Southern European um, surf coach and yes, yeah, because it's a lot of ladies on the boat, probably just ladies, you know, like with the models and fashion bloggers and all these things. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. I'm a married man, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm almost blind, you know, like I just see waves. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so, okay. Okay, it's on. The, the, the Maldives, Maldives trip is on. 
and I went there and I fly to the to Mali and um, we had to get some boards and stuff for for the trip. It was so fun. So everyone starts arriving. There were there was a bunch of people. We were like fourteen people on the boat, if I'm not wrong. It was a big boat, um, and um, we start talking when we all meet. So we surfed before, and only me and the photographer were surfers. <laughs> the photographer, nice. which so you the photographer he was an Australian called Sonny, not Sunny Sonny. He was a surfer as well, and. Um, his wife was there as well too, like for the production of the of the photo shoot and stuff. And so the thing is, we're on this boat in the Maldives, on a boat full of ladies who were not surfers. There were a couple guys as well, some really cool people. I love that trip, you know, like good people, it's good fun. And so, but imagine you're on a boat, you're the surf coach, and no one surfs. No one surfs. You know? And for me, my reality is beach breaks, you know, like teaching surfing on a beach break, on a super safe environment. Yeah. It was my first trip to the Maldives. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I have a bunch of beginners on this boat that want to try surfing. They've never surfed or maybe they've been in the water like once or twice. I actually like the day before they went on the trip, they flew to Lisbon. Everyone flew, flew from Lisbon. I, I didn't make them on the, on the flight. But they had a surf lesson in Lisbon, right? Okay. Like, so that was their first experience. Their first, okay, gotcha. you know, and uh, and they're like, "What am I gonna do?" And um, on the boat, there was this guy. He's like one of the Maldivian legends. His his name is Fuku. Uh, he's a river. He surfs really good, super stylish, like goofy footer. He has like this kind of rock machado kind of style. Really cool guy, and uh, he was our boat guy. So I'm like, hey, Fuku, man. And I, I met him, you know, on the boat once we arrived. I have all these people. We need to get them surfing. But, you know, this is reef. Our, I don't know how we're going to do it. So we started, like, having some sessions at Ninjas. Then, like, some very small. And then the surf was going to pick up a little bit. And Fuku was like, hey, Maya, like, it's going to pick up a little bit. You know, like, I'm, I'm a forecast freak, but I didn't know the place. I love checking forecasts and just looking and figure out the best spots and all. And um, so there's like this place. I don't know if you've surfed quarters in the yeah. South Mali. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be a really good forecast for quarters. And we go there. So there's like outside quarters, you know, just like, I think it's an Antara if I'm not wrong. Yeah, it's an Antara. Uh, like yeah. So you have like the fat, like the mushy wave on the outside. And then it goes into that racy kind of section. But man, I'm going to tell you, like, I've surfed it many, many, many times after, but I've never had it with such a perfect direction because you would take the whitewash, you would just get the whitewash wave. They would stand, you know, and they were pretty much going straight and the thing would just like line up perfectly. So they were racing the whole section, but they're beginners, you know, like third day of surfing. Just making the whole section, we're alone in the water, just freakish, you know, like, and That's the mothers have these things. If you, if you know where to go, even nowadays with a lot of people, you can score such good ways. Yeah, you know, just absolutely. you, your friends, or sometimes 
other boats, you know, and I think people, there's in every trip, there's every kind of people, which means that just statistically, it's possible that you're going to have really nice people and you're going to have some idiots inside the same boat. And the same will happen with the surf guides and with the surf coaches and all of this. But I've been in several situations in which you have like two or three boats for the same lineup and you're kind of taking turns, you know, like people are just, okay, let's go a few of us. There are a few of them, you know, like trying to keep the crowd under control, everyone in a good vibe. But I've also had the other experience, like you're out with like six people, 10 more people come, total pain in the neck, you know, like there's a bit of everything. And like I was saying, you have the whole range of personalities wherever you go in life, right? Absolutely. So the water is just, just, just the same place where just an extension. things can happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that, that trip got to an end. It was amazing. We had a bunch of fun, a lot of fun. And uh, apparently the feedback was good. And the year after, I was like, oh, I hope I get the chance. Tim calls me in the end. He was like, hey, Maya, we have really good feedback from your work. I'm like, thank you so much for letting me know. I'm really happy to have, to have this opportunity and hope that in the future we can do something together again. So year after, Tim calls me, hey, Maya, I have like a super high-profile client for this mega trip. You know, like, I want you to be on that trip. Can you do it? They're like, when is it? It gives me like the dates and like, sure, I'm available. Let's do it. Because sometimes I have a, like a busy schedule in some, during some parts of the year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. And as the trip, as the trip is about to happen, like four or five days after, uh, before, sorry, four or five days before team calls me, am I like the clients? They need an extra coach. And this is like four days to go. They need another coach. And I'm like, hey, wow. Then I think you have someone. No, I'm actually counting on you. So, okay, I call like, I have like this guy is one of my best friends. He's a good coach. Uh, we, I started as a, as, as a surf coach in part because of him, because I had the license. I took the licenses for surf coaching, but more like to improve my own surfing. Never because I thought of teaching how to surf, you know, just like, okay, self-improvement thing. I'm going to learn more about technique or whatever, or I thought I was going to learn more. It, it was good because it made me aware of things that I wasn't aware. And, um, but yeah, I wasn't really thinking of becoming a surf, thing, a surf coach. So there's a week that this guy, like he was working on a surf camp. They had like a huge week. They, they were liking some teachers and he calls me, Hey, Maya, are you free next week? Uh, yeah, sure. I was between jobs at the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, sure. Man, we're going to have a huge week. You, I know that you have the surf coach permit. You want to come and work with us? And the reality was I had so much fun doing it that I just kept doing it. You know, like, I mean, that's the dream on the beach. Yeah, yeah. Like it is. It's, you know, like it's art. We just think like, Usually the thing is when you think of a surf coach, you think, oh, surf coach, you know, like doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl, you know, spend your day on the beach, nice, nice weather, you know, nice people coming, you get to surf, you get to do a bunch of things that you enjoy and it's all truth. 
but it's very demanding on your body, you know, and if you do it as a living, it's not just summer, it's also going to be winter when it's like five degrees snowing and you have a group of beginners because if you're in the water, you still get some waves in the be in, in between, you know, just stay Absolutely. warm and you still have the other side of the fun. But when you have like winter time, horrible weather, and you're on the sand with a group of beginners just freezing, you know, you're almost crying because it's yeah. so cold. Practicing pop-ups in the sand. <laughs> yeah. And imagine when it starts raining because like there's, I don't like to stay on the sand just from away, just talking about that. But the reality is that you need to be away so you can see what's happening. You know, you can be in the water helping, but there's a moment you need to step back and just watch so you can give proper feedback. And if it's raining, it's just, you know, it's painful. And you think like, oh, there's no money in the world that pays for the, for the suffering that involves being here, you know, like in nowadays, I kind of tend to think like, yeah, winter time, you know, like surf lessons, mm, not so much, you know, like I'm getting a little older. If I'm going to get cold, I'm going to get cold because I'm surfing, not because I'm teaching someone how to surf. Which doesn't mean that if there's a good friend of mine coming and wants some surf lessons, I'm not going to do it. But yeah. I don't really like to do it in winter, you know, like, yeah. yeah. So we go on this big trip, team joined the trip because it was such a big, such an important trip for Luex. Team wanted to make sure. So he asked the clients, oh, are you guys cool if I join? You know, I want to be there do, doing some PR with you, making sure that every, everything is smooth sailing, you know. And, uh, and they were like, yeah, cool. So that's when I met Tim and it was hilarious. You know, like Tim is a super funny guy and the whole trip was amazing. We've had the chance to go on multiple other trips after that one. That's amazing. Uh, which is, yeah, yeah super yeah. fun. Um, he was here this summer. I live in Tunis here in Portugal. He was here with his family and we got together. Like last month I went to surf, I went to France for the, for the Challenger Series event there, for the World Surfing Challenger Series. And Tim calls me, hey, Maya, are you in Osgore? And I'm like, oh, you missed me? I'm actually just arriving to Pnish. I, I took my van, you know, like it was like a 14 days because I'm a surf judge as well. And I was doing the Pro Junior event that happened just before the Challenger Series. So it was like 14 days in France. And I have a big old for transit. And I asked if I could, instead of flying there, if I could go just by van. Do a little road trip. Take, yeah, just to take six or seven boards, you know, just in case yeah. we had different kinds, kind of waves. And it was brilliant because there were a bunch of guys, like one foot, two foot. And I had my 10 foot long board with me. So I never stopped surfing on the, on the ladies, you know, and all the other guys were pay, playing like paddle and running and doing other activities. And there's... I just kept surfing because I had the right equipment, you know? I mean, you yeah. know, like listening to you, like before, I, as I said before, we were talking off camera for like 45 minutes and you have a lot of stories and you can tell, like you have a lot of knowledge when it comes to surfing. Like you said, right? You're, you are a surf coach, but then you're also a judge for the WSL. You go travel, you actually, you're analyzing surfing professional surfing and then you know try to score it so you you know the finesse of technique and what what goes into it right so i wanted i think that's a good segue to actually lead into today's topic which is around surf coaching and what 
actually goes into it, right? I mean, it's when people think of a surf coach, they think of somebody, like you said, that stands on the beach and practices pop-ups before they go into the water and pushes like, you know, beginners into waves. But it's it's way more than that. I mean, there is, you know, the gym aspect, there's the mo- um, mobility aspect. There's also like, obviously technique, um, flow, speed. I mean, there's so much to it. And I wanna, I wanna start with something I notice on the beach when I go surfing, right? There's a lot of beginners or intermediate surfers that are on, probably the wrong equipment and i i want to know from a from a coach's point of view like through a coach's eye what like why do you think is that that people you know choose the wrong board because if you would be on the right board to begin with like your progression would be a lot easier so what what, what do you tell you know beginner or lower intermediate surfers um, when it comes to like board selection or equipment Sandy, it's really cool. I, I really enjoyed all the all the things that you said about coaches, but you you missed one thing that I think it's if not the most important aspect of a coach in all the spectrum from a beginner to a professional surfer. Tell me, she's the psychological part, right? The motivational okay. part, absolutely. You know, like for just sure, keep the person in the right mindset. No matter if you're just learning how to do your first takeoff or if you're going for the world title, you know, and like, we're all surf fans, right? So probably all of us watch like the, the WCT events, you know, like the world title race with Gabriel Medina and Philippe Toledo and Jordy Smith and all these guys, you know, like Nicole Ferreira, all these monsters. And I'm pretty sure that all of us at a given point thought like, do these guys still have coaches? These guys are the best surfers in the world. Why do they need a coach? And this is why, because they need someone to keep their head together. They spend their all, all year long, or even better, they spend their life on the road, you know, between planes, in airport, in planes, in airports, with people they don't know, you know, like they get families, which are friends, their, their friends become their families to have a support crew and all of this. And, the coaches, you know, when you get to that level, that's what they're doing. It's motivation, you know, like just keeping the, the, the right mindset. Obviously, they're going to be doing some video analysis for the technique part. But once you get to that level, your surfing skills, I mean, I could be the best coach in the world that it would be probably hard for me to tell Gabriel Medina or someone like Igor Ferreira, or I'm talking about the Brazilian surfers, but I could be talking about any other surfer, you know, like on the city, they're, they're all monsters. They're all incredible surfers. And there's no way in the world I could teach them how to surf, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think the motivational part is really huge, but going to what you were saying. But I think way. like what you just said, that's very interesting as well, right? Like what you said about these like top notch pros, like the top fives, the top tens in the world, right? Like you don't need to teach them how to surf. You just have to be that catalyst to keep them motivated to perform well on, on these days. Right. Yeah. You know, imagine that day, like, uh, some years ago I had, uh, before I was working for the world surf league, the first year that, um, that, uh, the city came to super tubes here in Pniche. 
uh, I was coming out of the water. Adrian Souza was arriving in Elinho. He was arriving. It was the year he won in uh, Bakio. So the Mundaka event, uh, it ended in Bakio. He won the contest there. It was the first event he won. So he's arriving here and I meet him at the car park and I'm like, I'm a huge fan of him. You know, like I remember the first time I saw him surfing, he was like 16 or 17 in my own break, which was Santa Cruz. And it was this tiny drum. And it was the first time I, I ever saw someone doing three air reverses on the same wave. You know, it's just a different, just, you know, like we think surfing is this. And once you see like the top guy surfing live, you realize yeah. that surfing is a different, a different sport from Absolutely. what you thought. Absolutely. And um, so I see him on the car park and I go to salute him and like congratulate him for his victory, you know, like first contest he ever won on the CT. And uh, it's like, oh, thank you so much. You know what? I don't have a house yet to stay. So I call a friend of mine, one of my neighbors, and like his brother had the house to rent. And like, so I hook him up with the house. And we ended up talking a lot. And so we're having this conversation. And imagine this situation. He tells me that he had just ordered the batch of boards. And he told me something like, I ordered six boards with exactly the same measurements. You know, the same exact board six times. And uh, I get to try them all. And there's going to be one that feels incredible and that one is the keeper for the contest. There's going to be maybe one or two that feels good, but not like out of this world. I'm going to keep those for training and the other two or three, I just ditch them give, off. Give back. And yeah. then, okay. Uh, imagine a few weeks after he's surfing with those boards and he snaps the magic one, you know, and uh, the magic one and his coach, you know, like when a surfer, like a top surfer destroys the magic board because at some point it becomes like superstition. And um, yeah, and it destroys that thing and it's going to affect his confidence and his mindset and all of it. And the surf coach, maybe, maybe and this coach who is a friend, who is that guy puts the bond, you know, like it just glues and keeps it all together. Maybe the guy who's going to tell him, hey, you were surfing the other board yesterday and it looked incredible. Maybe it didn't feel like it, but it just looked incredible. So it's a good board. Go with it. You know, you like the other one. This one is the same measurement. Go with it. Believe it. And, you know, sometimes just these little things that when you're having second thoughts, you're just doubting yourself or, you know, like that little friendly speech, you know, it can make all the difference. When you, when you think of coaching or like when I think of coaching, right? Um, I always wonder like, what is the hardest part about coaching? Is it the actual stuff that goes in, in the water or is it, you know, like every, like outside of the water away from the contest? And I think now you kind of answered that, like the, the, the part where like the mat, the mindset part, um, is just as important as the performance part. And I would think or assume um, that that part is much harder to coach or teach, right? Yeah. I would say it's the mindset, like you were saying, the part that we don't see in a contest, because that I think that on a contest day, when a surfer gets there, it's just going to execute. Mm. It can go wrong, you know, like it can go, you can have a plan B and a plan B, and 
everything turns a different, uh, takes a different turn and you end up with a plan C which was not properly thought and it goes wrong and you lose and you lose your eat, you know, or the other guys are just superior, but there are days that things go wrong, you know, like you snap a board on the first wave, then you get slammed by the set, you take 15 minutes just on it, like imagine on a big day, you get 15 minutes of just getting smashed. And once you get out there, you get the good wave, you get the best score of the, of the heat, like the top wave, you get the nine five, it's by far the best wave of the heat, but you cannot get the, a backup. The backup, you lose. yeah. Yeah. You know, because you don't, you need, you're looking for a 3.5 and you don't fight a 3.5 because you just run out of time. And you, a, you smash the thing. I have a personal uh, question yeah. to you. Um, and I just thought of it because we were talking about, you know, like, um, scores. And, and as, as I said before, you are also a WSL judge. So do you think, and, obviously both sides does it make it easier for you to coach because you have that background of like analyzing waves and vice versa like is it easier for you to judge because you have that background as a coach i think it's kind of a symbiotic relationship i think it's easier to coach because i have perspective from perspective from analyzing like spending 12 hours a day just watching the best guys in the world surfing you Mm -hmm. know just destroying Mm -hmm. Uh, so it gives you a lot of perspective on technique, but also I, I don't just work for the World Surf League and even on the World Surf League. Unfortunately, I don't do CTs like uh, as a judge. I mean, I haven't had the opportunity to do. And nowadays I've done some breaks, like I'm, I'm doing a lot of priority uh, work, you know, as a priority judge work nowadays, like on the big events. But I, I'm scoring on the longboard tour. I'm the yeah. judge for uh, for longboard in, in Europe for the World Surf League, and uh, because of COVID, we haven't had the chance in the last one and a half years to to run like um, longboard events like the WCT for longboarding mm-hmm. um, that I've been able to go and judge. But I was in Papua New Guinea, I was in China with the tour, and yeah, like Taiwan, super amazing places. But yeah, I, I do some uh, longboard tour events. The thing is, um, they you go in and then, you know. Like the other thing I wanted to say is like, this is the top, like the World Surf League events, like top level performance. But I do a lot on the Portuguese nationals, from the grounds, you know, to the open nationals, you know, like to the regional events as well. I do a lot of regional events, like small stuff teaching new judges, you know, uh, and also teaching the athletes, not as a coach, but whenever you're scoring as a judge, you're sending a match, a message to the athletes, to the surfers. So that athlete, that message will shape the way they are surfing. So in a way you're also contributing to the evolution of their surfing and their careers. Uh, and I guess like and your, your I know work that, as well, because yeah. it's like your work uh, evolves as well, because like surfing with the evolution of surfing, like aerial surfing, you know, above the lip, uh, you know, obviously turns have progressed as well. I guess like you have to adapt each year to the level of surfing as well. And obviously, since you coaching on all these different levels, like nationals open, you know, re- like regionals, and then also, you know, the, 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 the top guys, you have to adapt 
your the way you're looking at it as well, no? Yeah, for sure. And it's it's really funny that you're saying this. Yesterday, so like I told you, I've been to China a couple of times, maybe like seven or eight times to the island of Hainan to do contests there, both for the World Surf League and the ISA. And uh, I met like the local crew and surfing is starting in China as well, because uh, once surfing became Olympic, uh, the Chinese Olympic uh, Committee started a surfing program there and you'd freak out if you'd see it. You know? Yeah, no, I was working for Volcom before yeah. and we actually hosted the, um, the, the, the Chinese Olympic team. And okay. they, they were training. They were training in Australia at the High Performance Center at the at the time for for a while. And you freaked out with the kids, no? It's crazy. What goes into it, and just the resources they yeah. have is absolutely yeah. nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, like for for the people who are here, just to cut it short. So the, the program, I was I was already doing contests there when the program the program started, but they started like with around three hundred something surfers. Uh, not surfers, because there were no surfers. Yeah. So what they did was they went to the different disciplines, like sports disciplines, like imagine uh, athletics, uh, swimming, and they took like the kids with potential that didn't make like their national teams for the Olympics, like the preparation for the Olympic teams in their own sports, just because they had like good physical skills. They took them all to the island of Hainan, which is the, an island next to the Philippines, mm -hmm. which has like tropical weather and there's like really cool waves. It's a little fickle, you know, like the conditions, but it has really good waves. I've had a lot of really good surf, uh, surfs there. Um, so they took them all there uh, by teams. They put them all in hotels. They bought them like real surfboards, like Merricks, uh, Losts, like DHDs, like JSs, like we're talking about I I am equipment. Yeah. Um, and they just started coaching. And some of these kids had never seen the ocean. <laughs> and so a friend of mine from there calls me yesterday. Am I, I have like, he's a judge. And you know, like we started doing some training with the local judges and all. So we have like these kids, they're starting to do airs in free surfing. No one has yet done a, so far, no one has done air during a national comp. But it's, it's coming, you know, like we already see them training. So we had a couple of videos and it was like, so what do you feel like? How far should we go? Like in scoring, you know, like, and for me, it was amazing that he did it, you know, because man, I'm not, it's like, I'm a judge, you know, like fortunately I've had the chance to be in certain places, but it's a chance. And I took my chance and I kept having chances, but sometimes you can be really good and you never get the chance. Okay. So this is my point. Things have to come together. You have to get luck in the middle, you know, to have the opportunities. And then after you get the opportunity, sometimes things are going to go right. Sometimes some other times it won't. It's life. It's like that. So I had a chance to meet these people and he calls me and I'm like, okay, so thanks for calling me. You know, like I, I don't know much more than you. I have more experience, but. So we were talking for a while, checking the videos, you know, and the thing is when you're starting on a grassroots level, it's about the message you're sending, you know, like the aerial surfing is starting. It's, it will come at some point for the first time in the contest. And no matter if it's really good quality or a more simple, like 
less technical kind of air. You should reward the risk and just the fact that they're getting out of the comfort zone to try something innovative or, or progressive, which are all part of the judging criteria, you know? So we were debating a little bit with the videos and all of this, and I was giving him my perspective also as a coach, because like uh, he was showing me some straight airs on ways with more speed versus some air reverses, you know, like with less speed, but in my perspective, with way better technique, with better position, with the position of the head and shoulders and arms and all of this. And I was trying to, to show him. And then in the end, I'm just like, hey, okay, so let's just walk back a little bit and get some perspective. So right now, you're struggling because we're used to seeing, to watching the CT and the QSs, watching the best surfers in the world, ripping, destroying the waves, making everything look normal and easy, you know? And it's not easy. It's not normal what they're doing. They make it look like, but it's not. So when you have these kids coming, it's incredible that three years ago, no, it was 2021 now. Yeah, so four years ago, you had no surfers in China. Now you have guys who have been surfing, surfing for one and a half years and they're doing air reverses. Air reverses, yeah. And this is incredible. I've been surfing, I've been surfing for 30 years in my life, more. And I've never done an air, yeah, air reverse. Yeah, exactly. Same here. You know? like, it makes me feel like shit. <laughs> yeah. It's life, you know, like, I've done other stuff, but I've never done an air reverse. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident to say that it's not now. 42 year old, you know, with back problems, knee problems, and problems everywhere in my body because I was an idiot and I wasn't taking care of injuries. Yeah. That I'm going to start doing air reverses. It's not reasonable to expect that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And uh, so just get some perspective, see how spectacular it is what's happening. And once you see someone getting, taking the risk, using the commitment, pushing the progression of the sport in your local event, make sure you you reward them, you know, like if, I mean, just give a proper score, you know, and then I gave him the example. I remember maybe, I don't know if you were following it at the time, but I remember when uh, Johnson Andre, you, you know Johnson, mm -hmm. when he won his first event in Santa Catarina in Brazil, I think it was 2010, and uh, he won the event, it was a ground, it was like 20, it was the year he qualified, and he won it by doing air reverses, like over and over and over again, like non-stop, he wasn't falling, but no one else could do that. And the scores were coming like huge, like eights and nines and sevens and eights and nines all, the, all day long. And those same reverses nowadays would pretty much be a four or a five. Yeah, exactly. Or less, or yeah, less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, the sir, like everyone on tour nowadays can do an air reverse, mm -hmm. and the technical level that they've achieved in the meantime, I mean, they're doing flips that we have to just watch the thing five times in slow motion to figure out their axis of rotation and where they're grabbing their boards. And it, surfing is becoming snowboarding mixed with skateboarding mixed with I don't know what. You know, gymnastics yeah because yeah. it's very interesting what you're saying the, the surfers you know which 15 years ago were surfers 
nowadays they're top level athletes. Absolutely. You know, and they train everything. Mm. Everything from trampolines to gym to to running to you know to bicycle. They train everything. Yeah. Not all of them, but Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think also that obviously like over the last like 10 years like surfing has become so popular like you know 10 years ago you would go travel and you would always see the same kind of nations in the water right nations that 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 surf but now it doesn't matter like i i was in in galicia not long ago and there were people from poland from uh, hungary there were you know obviously you know from germany like i mean the whole world is surfing right now